Welcome to the Lake Highlands Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. Every week, the members of Lake Highlands gather as a congregation to hear what God has revealed in the Bible about His loving plan of redemption. Listen in as we learn more about the love of the Father, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, you may be seated. We are going to be in Isaiah chapter 62 tonight, Isaiah 62. We have been walking through the book of Isaiah for the past month during this season of Advent, this season of waiting, of expectation, looking forward to the coming of Christ. And now we come near the end of that book um, to a very special passage within that book. If you're using a pew Bible tonight, you can find that passage on page 621, page 621. By the way, if you are here tonight and you do not own a Bible, and you would like to own a Bible, please accept that pew Bible as a gift from us. All right, page 621, Isaiah chapter 62. The title of tonight's message is, There Ain't No Rest for the Righteous. There Ain't No Rest for the Righteous. I'm going to read this whole chapter, but we're just going to focus in on a few verses tonight. But for the sake of context and because of the beauty of the promise of this passage, let's look at it all together. So Isaiah chapter 62, beginning in verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married or possessed. Dwelt in. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be dwelt in. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And here's the verses that we'll be focusing on tonight. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him, that is God, no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies and foreigners shall not drink your wine. For which you have labored, but those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes 
Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they, the people, shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. One of the themes that we have focused on from the book of Isaiah over the past few weeks is the the fact that the gospel, the good news of the coming of Christ, is not just the good news that God is going to do the things that he promised, that he's going to bring the blessings and the restoration, that he's going to fix the world in the way that he promised to do that, but also the good news that he's going to take his people And he's going to do a work in their hearts and in their community such that they are going to become the kind of people that when God hands over this new world that he's bringing into reality over to them, they will be the kind of people who have reached such a state, such a maturity level, such a state of perfection and righteousness and holiness reflecting the character of the God who has called them to be his people such that when he hands over that world to them, they're going to be the kind of people who know how to live in it and how to keep it, and preserve it, in much the same way that Adam and Eve had been entrusted by God with the garden. And we see that theme here in a very powerful and a very beautiful way as God describes this work of reformation, this this changing of his people, this transformation of his people in terms of a name change. Right? If you think about the history of names in the Bible, you know that they're very significant from the time that Adam begins naming the animals, defining what they are, categorizing them, assigning them a proper role within creation, to the names that are given to the patriarchs and all of the figures that you see throughout the Bible. You know that names are a way of defining someone. They're a way of spelling out who they are and what their legacy is going to be. In the ancient world... What your name was said who you were and who you were going to be. Israel is at a place where they've inherited some names. They've they've come to be called by some names that they would not have chosen for themselves. Names like desolate. Names like forsaken. Barren. Not my people. As we heard Peter quoting from the book of Micah. And the promise that is reiterated here, and especially in these climactic few verses at the end of chapter 62, is that God is going to transform his people, and in doing so, he's going to give them a new character and a new destiny and legacy. And, he, and he's going to do this as he gives them a new name. Now, not just one name, but, but a beautiful set of names. In place of forsaken, my delight is in her that's one word in the Hebrew, by the way, if you're wondering why you know, God's naming ch- his children like the Puritans named their children. It's one, one word in the Hebrew. Married in the place of desolate, holy people, redeemed of the Lord, sought out a city not forsaken. It's a beautiful promise, reiterated, that we've already seen in Isaiah of what God's going to do to make his people, that part of the gospel is how he's going to make them the kind of people that they have been called to be, the kind of people who can occupy a world that has been put to right. Now, as beautiful as that is, that's not what I'm going to focus on in today's message. What I want to look at is these first few verses here, the the, the verses here in verse 6 and verse 7, right there in the middle of this chapter. 
Because it says something interesting, and it says something that probably raises a question in your mind if you're, if you're like me as you read these passages. Here God gives another promise or another statement about the kind of work that he's doing, and this is what he says. After explaining how he's going to change their name, he says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. Now, in the ancient world, watchmen would have been figures that occupied the walls of a city, watching out, looking to see who might be coming, and then announcing that news to those who were inside, those who needed to be in the know, especially the kings and the rulers of that city. That was their responsibility. And what God is saying is, as, as the time approaches for me to do the things that I've just been talking about, to, to, to make your righteousness as radiant as the sun, to make you the kind of people who you're called to be, as this approaches, I'm doing something else, and that is I'm stationing within your community watchmen, and this is their job. Interestingly, not necessarily to just look out, but listen to this, to never be silent. These are watchmen who are going to be doing a whole lot of talking, a whole lot of speaking, and this is who they're speaking to, the Lord. You who put the Lord in remembrance. This is the responsibility of the watchman to remind God, to keep reminding God of what it is that he's promised to do. And then he says something very interesting here. He tells these watchmen, those who are supposed to put God in remembrance, those who are to be reminding God, take no rest. Don't stop. And then here's the phrase that's the trickiest. And give him, God, no rest. Now, whether this is God directly speaking here or whether he's speaking through the prophet, the fact is that God is making some kind of provision for his people. He's setting up some watchmen whose job is to remind God over and over and over again so that he doesn't forget what it is that he's promised to do. Now, if you know anything about what the Bible has to say about God, you know that that doesn't seem to fit with what we know of God. As I was thinking about this passage, I was reminded of the story of Elijah back in Mount Carmel. Back uh, during the days of the wicked king Ahab, Elijah is the, at this time, basically the only sole prophet of God, the one true God, Yahweh, and he's ministering in the context of Ahab's reign. And at one point in his ministry, he challenges a bunch of false prophets, over 400 of them, prophets of Baal, one of the ancient Near Eastern gods of that, that, that territory. And he tells the prophets of Baal, he says, meet me on Mount Carmel, and let's have something of a uh, battle of the bands, prophet style. Let's, let's go up on Mount Carmel. And we're each going to make a sacrifice to our God. We're going to lay it out, but before we burn that sacrifice, I want you to call fire down from heaven, at, at, from, from Baal, to consume the fire. And I'm going to do the same with my sacrifice, but I'm going to call upon Yahweh, the God of Israel. And whoever's God rains down fire, that's God, right? And if you're familiar with that story, you know what happens. The prophets of Baal go first. They set out their sacrifice. They build the altar, get it all ready. And then they start calling. And silence. Nothing's happening. 
So they keep calling, keep calling. And eventually, they start wailing and begin to cut themselves, bleeding all over the place, trying to get Baal's attention. And at that point, Elijah does something that might not have been very tactful, especially in our uh, current circumstances, our current environment and culture. He starts goading the prophets of Baal and starts taunting them. And this is what he says. He says, cry aloud, for Baal's a god. Maybe he's musing. Maybe he's, he's lost in thought. Or maybe he's relieving himself. He's indisposed in the bathroom. Or maybe he's on a journey. Maybe Baal's, you know, prone to take some holidays. Or perhaps he's asleep and you need to wake him up. He's rubbing the noses of the prophets of Baal and the fact that the God that they serve is no God worth worshiping at all. And you know, the, the outcome of that story, of course, is that after all of that happens, fire never comes down. Elijah builds his sacrifice, drenches it in water, calls down fire from heaven, and immediately everything is consumed. Because Yahweh is not a God who needs to be reminded. He's not a God who forgets. He's not a God who might be prone to taking a nap. He's not a God who might be on holiday. He's not a God who needs rest. So you don't have to wake him up like you might a ball. And this confession, this conviction about who God is is reiterated all throughout the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 8, after the great flood, it says that God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock and delivers them off of the ark. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 29, after God is raining down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, it says that he delivers Lot because he remembered Abraham and his promise to Abraham to deliver his kinfolk from those cities when he overthrew them. In Genesis chapter 30, verse 22, as Rachel bears the shame of her barrenness while Leah is producing like a rabbit, she says, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. Exodus chapter 2, 24, the Israelites cry out from the land of Egypt under the oppression of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And it says God hears their groaning and God remembers his covenant with Abraham, his promise to Isaac, to Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Isaiah himself says it so beautifully. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she ought that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb even these may forget yet I God speaking here through Isaiah yet I will not forget you which is why Mary when she goes to Elizabeth and John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb, and then Mary sings her song of praise as she bears the Son of God in her womb, says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. All of those promises, and then this, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our men enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. All throughout scripture you will find this 
steadfast, unwavering conviction and confession that God is not a God who forgets. That what it means to be the one true God is that you don't need to be reminded. And yet also in Scripture, alongside of this confession and this conviction, we also find all over the place prayers, cries, and pleas that he wouldn't forget. Let me just read you a few from the psalm. Psalm 10:12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 44. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Psalm 74. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Psalm 74, do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. All of these passages present us with the same dilemma, the same question that we have here in the middle of Isaiah 62, which is if God is a God who doesn't need to be reminded, why is it that his people, not only all over the place, are reminding him, but are then instructed by him to remind him? Well, maybe Jesus can help us understand what's going on. I've found him to be a pretty reliable source over the years. So let's turn to Luke chapter 18, and I want to take you to a parable that might at first not seem to be directly related to this, but I think has some helpful things to say for us to understand what Isaiah is saying here. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is going to tell this very interesting parable about a widow and an unjust judge. A widow, which in the ancient world would have been a person in a very vulnerable position, financially, socially, very, in terms of power, in a very vulnerable position. And this is what he says. In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was in that city... Who kept coming to him, a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So she's facing some kind of oppression, some kind of of unjust treatment at the hands of somebody, some adversary, and she's coming to the judge over and over and over again, reminding him about his responsibility. You've got a job to do, and that is to give me justice. It says, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, you know what, though I neither fear God nor respect the man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said this, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day at night? Will he delay long over them? All right, so this is kind of a puzzling parable right here, especially if you assume that what Jesus is doing here is drawing a comparison between God and the judge. That can't be the case. 
It's not that Jesus is saying, you know, in the same way that this persistent widow finally gets this unjust judge to capitulate and do what he's supposed to do, in the same way, if you just wear God down, eventually he's going to relent and keep his promises. That's that the whole point is not based on a comparison between the judge and God. It's based on a contrast. Jesus is saying, if this judge, as unjust as he is, as unconcerned as he is about the plight of this woman, eventually gives her the justice that she's demanding, how much, how more ready is God, who has chosen you as his own elect, his own chosen special people, a God who is perfectly righteous, who is consumed with the good of his people, how much more ready and willing is he to give justice to those who ask him? But that doesn't get us quite to the solution because if you think about it in that way, it also seems to be the case that, well, the reason the widow had to be so persistent, the reason she had to keep reminding this judge was because he was unjust. If, if this is the case, maybe the fact that God is a righteous judge, God is a God who keeps his promises, maybe we don't need to keep reminding him. What's the point in reminding him if we know that his promises are sure if he's going to do what it is that he promises. But that's where Jesus' preface to this parable and then his application when he brings it home at the end comes in. Notice what it says in verse 1 of chapter 18. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then at the very end, verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. That's a given for Jesus. That's for sure. The question hanging over the world, though, is this. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The given is that God is going to keep his promise. The given is that God will remember. The question is, will you, will I remember that he's a God who remembers? Or will we be the ones who forget? So with this, we can go back to Isaiah 62, verses 6 through 7, and appreciate just one more layer of, of the good news embedded in the gospel preached so eloquently by this prophet. What Isaiah, what God through Isaiah is saying here is this, that God himself, the God who remembers, the God who never forgets, in the face of his people's forgetfulness has taken upon himself the task of remembering. God himself has taken upon himself to remember on behalf of his people. God is the one who sets the watchmen who never give rest to him and in never giving rest to him never take rest themselves. God is the one enabling his people finally to remember that he is the God who doesn't forget. This is what it says in verse 1 of 62. For, for Zion's sake, whether this is God 
speaking directly or through the prophet. Once again, it's God making provision. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Israel is prone to be quiet. Israel's prone to fall asleep. Israel's prone to rest and to forget how bad things are and how good things will be when God does what it is that he's promised. It's not God who's in danger of forgetting. It's not God who's in danger of resting. It's his people. And that's the great danger for us today. As we face the darkness of this world, on the one hand, we're prone to lose heart. We're prone to become so discouraged by the darkness in our own hearts and the darkness in our families and the darkness in our communities, the uncertainties of the world that we live in, to become so disillusioned that we stop asking. The other danger is this, and this is especially true in a place like Lake Highlands. The danger is that you might in this life get, get just enough financial security, just enough health, just enough prosperity, just enough political stability, just enough of everything going okay that you become satisfied with the way things are and you just stop reminding God of what he's promised to do. In either case, it's not God who's forgotten and it's not God who needs to be reminded. It's us. And the good news of Christmas, as taught to us by the prophet here in these few verses, is that not only is God bringing to fulfillment the wonderful promises that he's given us, but that through the spirit of his son in our hearts and among us today, he's helping us to remember that he doesn't forget. It's why you're here tonight. It's not a coincidence that you're sitting here on Christmas Eve waiting for the coming of Jesus tomorrow. You're not here because you're better than everybody out there waiting for something else. It's because the Spirit of God is taking a work in your heart. It's because God has appointed watchmen among us to not give him rest and in not giving him rest to keep ourselves from taking rest. You are here because God in his grace is helping you remind him so that you don't forget. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Lake Highlands Baptist Church. We believe God created all of us to know him and to enjoy him forever. And we hope this sermon has helped you fulfill this purpose today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at lhbc.com. Thanks again for listening.